the Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. Our guest today is Jeff Ritter. Jeff is a highly accomplished and internationally acclaimed both professional golfer, but also golf coach, teacher, author, and speaker. He wears many, many hats and he wears them very well. You may know Jeff by his work as a guest expert on the Golf Channel or through his dozens of articles in Golf Digest. Jeff actually was referred to me by a personal friend and a listener to this podcast, John Hoskins. John has been a personal friend. He's been a business mentor to me. And he said, you absolutely must get Jeff on the show. You two are kindred spirits, he said. Well, what I've come to recognize in Jeff and the few conversations I've had previously with him is that we both share a passion and a belief that all golfers, especially senior golfers, which I am one at 67, proudly to say senior golfer, can improve. We all can improve and enjoy our golf game, perhaps even more than when we were much younger. Two ways we can improve immediately is one, how we approach the mental side of the game. And we're talking strategy, how we think, emotions, etc. We're going to get into that one big time today. And two is how we improve our short game. We'll discuss both in detail. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Dean, hey, thanks so much for having me. This is exciting. Yeah. And uh, just for the audience briefly, where do you uh, work out of primarily? Right now I live full-time in beautiful Bend, Oregon. I've been here for almost two years now, and uh, we've got an incredibly fantastic relationship with the Pronghorn Resort right here in Bend. Pronghorn, we've got 36 holes of golf, both nationally ranked courses, a Nicholas design and the Fazio design. We just opened up a brand new lodge, the Huntington Lodge, which has been getting rave reviews. And you know, we created a really fantastic partnership with a company called True Spec Golf. They're a, a high-end club fitting outfit that originates out of Scottsdale. They're in about 20 locations throughout North America. And together, we created a real special renovation to an indoor-outdoor teaching studio slash academy that opened up this spring. So yeah, I'm in a great spot with a great support team, and we're uh, you know loving doing what we do. So if someone comes up there, they can actually, this time of year, uh, o- over the next several months, they can come up and ski and get some golf uh, coaching as well, it sounds like. You actually can. You know, I don't know if, if you've been to Bend or any of your listeners have been to Bend, but it's a unique area where we've got this Highway 97, and that splits the west and the east side of town. And west of the 97 is where the mountains are, and that's where all the snow falls. And then on the east-hand side, turns into high desert. So we don't get a whole lot of snow out where the academy is. And then we do have that indoor outdoor capability, but the golf course is closed about one month out of the year. But unless we have an unusually harsh winter, we just keep on golfing. So it's a, it's a good place to be able to stay and play and enjoy some of the snow, but, but keep those golf clubs out of the garage. Yeah. It's a year round place to go. I have been to Bend and among the golf and the skiing, the other thing I love about Bend, you have some of the greatest micro breweries probably in the whole country, right there in Bend, Oregon. That's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, trust me, uh, listeners out there, if you, do, if you do like to have a beer, that's a great place to go, whether you're playing golf or not. It definitely is. So, Jeff, let's jump right into it. You talk a lot about mental toughness as one of the five pillars of success, not only in golf, but in life. So I'd like to preface my first question with just a brief short story, which I think 
ties right in with the mental toughness side of it. So I was practicing golf at a golf course called Mount Sai, which is actually in North Bend, Washington. Mount Sai Golf Courses and the Mount Sai Mountain is famous for its representation in the TV show Twin Peaks. So it's a beautiful area. Anyway, this guy, Rick, uh, somebody who I didn't know, he just stuck, struck up a conversation on the, on the driving range. He was telling me about one particular hole that he played just the week prior. And he said he hit a perfect drive down the middle of the fairway with the beautiful Mount Sai in the background. He couldn't have been better. He was in a great mood. He steps up to his second shot, which was, which was a relatively short iron into the green. And he promptly just hit a rocket. I'll call it a rocket shank is the way he described it. And it just went shooting off out of the fairway into the trees. And there's lots of trees here. And he didn't even see where it ended up. But he finally found it. And what he quickly noticed is that it wasn't as bad as he thought. The lie was decent. He had a clear shot into the green and the pin, although he had to keep it low because the trees were, tree branches were overhanging. And so he just kind of took a deep breath, said, you know, I'm going to make a good shot. He stepped up and hit it. And lo and behold, he knocked it into the hole and got a birdie. And he just kind of laughed at himself and said, wow, great shot, horrible shot, great shot. It's going to be a good day. And I just thought that that was an example of mental toughness. But why don't you break it down based on that story and others you've seen? What was he doing that enabled him to kind of recoup and not only not ruin his hole, but have a great hole to, to boot? Well, the big thing that he understands is that golf is the ultimate game of opportunity. And the highlight reel is not from the middle of the fairway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And one of the things about golf that connects golf to life metaphorically is that playing a great game of golf is all about having a clear picture of the way you want things to go. Approaching that shot or that moment with total enthusiasm and then seeing how well you can handle possibly not getting what you want. And doing that over and over and over again. And that's really a great formula to, to live a great life. Like, what if you wake up every morning with a clear picture of exactly how you would like this day to go? And everything that you do throughout the day, you approach with total enthusiasm. And if sometimes you don't get what you want, you're just cool with it. And you move on to the next opportunity. You know, And I think that golfers by and large, have been conditioned from a young age. That's where conditioning starts. It starts when we're, when we're kids. When I'm dealing with a, a frustrated junior golfer, you know, I don't look at that child and say, you know, why don't you have a better attitude? I know why they don't have a better attitude because they've been modeling the adults that they spend time with. And a typical example is, you know, a young golfer goes out and they play with their, play with their uncle, right? And they're just out there happy to be not hanging out with mom and dad, they're out the golf course, they're whacking the ball around, you know, with their uncle and their and his pals. And then somewhere along the line, the uncle or the aunt, you know, hits a shot that doesn't go where they want it to go. And they drop an expletive, they take the club and they whack it into the bottom of the bag. And in that moment, that young golfer goes, Oh, I get it. The moment I don't get what I want, I need to be upset about it. The next day they go out with, you know, their friends or whatnot. And on the fourth or fifth hole, the kid chunks a wedge shot and boom, there comes that word out of his mouth. There comes the, the club head whack into the back of the golf bag. And he goes, see, I'm a better golfer than I just demonstrated. So I want everyone to know that I have more skill than I just showed, because if I don't express 
disgust or derision, then you're going to think that I am less than I really am. And that's how the cycle begins. And of course, just perpetuates throughout, throughout life. And, you know, when I talk about golf being the ultimate game of opportunity, you have to realize that on the lesson tee, golfers come in every single day and all they're looking for is to be more consistent. So Dean, if you were to spend some time with me on the lesson tee, just sort of as a fly on the wall, probably the number one thing you would hear from golfers is that they have the desire to be more consistent, you know? And the thing is, is that what they don't realize is that golf by its design, by its nature is designed as a game to be highly inconsistent because it's, it's so darn challenging of a game. Think about how ludicrous this game is that we're playing. You know, we've got this stick that has this piece of metal on the end of it, right? And then we got this little tiny object on the ground. And that object is sitting, you know, in a weird lie. It's got grass around it. And we're going to take this stick with this piece of metal on it, and we're going to swing it around our body upwards of 100 miles an hour. And we're going to create this collision. And our expectation is that this collision is going to drive this object on the ground hundreds of yards away from us and land next to or possibly in a hole the size of your hand. What are we even doing? It does sound ludicrous to think we can even do that. Exactly, right? So we've got these these outlandish expectations. And the thing is that you know, golf is not a game of who hits it the best. It's a game of who misses it the least. You know, very, very seldom are you going to hit a shot perfectly exactly the way that you want. And even Ben Hogan said if you hit one or two shots around, the great Ben Hogan, one or two shots around exactly the way that he wanted, then that was a really, really good day. But every time a golfer hits the ball a little bit towards the toe or towards the heel, or they catch a little bit thin or it lands in the rough, you know, all of a sudden, I can't believe I'm not getting what I want. This is ridiculous. I'm better than this. So it's really the, the attitude associated with what we expect out of the experience within the game and also the conditioning that is sort of surrounding those expectations that we've learned from a very young age that, you know, has a lot of avid yet unhappy golfers playing golf. And, you know, one of the things that I really try and remind people of is what it even means to go play. Hey, let's go play golf. Well, what does that mean? Well, to play means to have a good time, right? And how many golfers come off the 18th hole acting as if they didn't really have that good of a time? You know, a really great friend of mine, a gentleman named Chris Doris, who I learned a lot of my you know, mental toughness, you know, coaching lessons from, said that when he was in, a, in graduate school for psychology, sports psychology, he did a study where he simply went out to a local golf course and he had a little clipboard. And on that clipboard, he had two different columns, kids and adults. And as golfers were walking off uh, the 18th hole, he simply just stopped for a second and asked them one question, how'd it go? That's all I said, how'd it go? And by and large, overwhelmingly, the comments that he got from adults were all negative, all negative. Oh, if I could only putt, uh, at least I'm not dead. Where's the bar? You know, <laughs> those were the kinds of comments that he was getting from people walking off of a golf course, which is a field of play, right? Whereas with the junior golfers, and when we talk about junior golfers, he was talking like 12 years old and, and possibly under. They were coming off with really different comments like, 
oh my gosh, you know, I hit the ball so far on the eighth hole. It actually went in the water. I've never hit it that far before. Like they saw excitement in basically seeing evidence of, of growth, even though the shot that they hit was not complimentary to shooting a, a lower score. They made comments about things not related to golf at all. Like, holy cow, that snapping turtle that everybody talks about, I finally saw it. That thing is huge. Just the joy, the joy of the experience. Yeah, the kids had the joy of the experience. So to kind of bring this thing full circle and to connect it back to the story that you told to open the program, that gentleman saw golf for what it is, a game of opportunity, a game that challenges us to be a curious, enthusiastic problem solver. And in a game that really challenged us to be able to live in the present moment, be able to hit a shot and let it go and then walk up to the next one and see the opportunity in that one. And then after that shot, let it go and see the opportunity in the next one, the opportunity to do something great, to do something that you might remember forever. And if you look at, you know, when Bubba Watson won the Masters, the first Masters, he's in that playoff and he blows that ball, you know, out of play down the right-hand side in the trees. And I'm telling you, everyone who was watching that golf tournament, the moment that ball goes in the trees and his playing partner is safe on the fairway, they think he's cooked. They think it is over, right? But he didn't think that. If he thought it was over, he would be adopting what we call the victim's mentality. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe what happened to me? I just grinded out four amazing rounds of golf and it has to end like this. But instead he walked over there. And you know, I don't know if you've been to uh, Augusta or if you've been to that spot. I have not. One day. Every year you go to the Masters, whether it's practice round or regular round, there are people that are huddled around that spot to this day. And they go, can you believe he hit it from here? When you stand there, you can't see the green. Everyone's seen the, you know, the replay and they've seen, you know, these little breakdowns on sports science where they said, you know, this is where his ball was and he had to hit it out this angle and he had to hook it that much, like the probability of pulling it off, yada, yada, yada. He didn't say, can you believe what happened to me, right? He said to himself, wait till they see what I do with this one. Hmm. Totally different mental state. Yeah, it's an opportunity to, to shock the world. And the thing is, is that in the history of psychology, some of the most important lessons or the most important lessons, not just relative to psychology, but just to life in general, the most important lessons are, are simple and few. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you hear all these Buddha lessons, you know, they're, they're so simple. You're like, oh yeah, that guy was onto something. Boy. <laughs> you know? The profoundness is in the simplicity. Exactly. One of the most important lessons is that people are simply at their best when they feel their best. When you feel good, you tend to do pretty darn well, right? And how you feel is a product of how you think. And if you believe that you are the owner of your thoughts, then at any time you have the opportunity to think in a way that elevates your mood, that raises your vibration, that gives you more access to the unique gifts that you have. And in this case, for Bob Watson, it's being amazing, swinging a golf club and hitting a golf ball. Yeah. So really, really fascinating information there right off the bat, Jeff. But if it's true that we're conditioned to have, let's say, a, a negative attitude or have a complaining attitude, well, as seniors, we've got a lot of experience in developing that. So <laughs> that's, I guess, the good and the bad news. So what are some things that you've seen or that you 
teach that can help us as seniors get over that frustration, get over that disappointment, get over that expectation that might be unrealistic? How do we do that? Because we're so conditioned and perhaps it's pretty deep inside of us to react negatively when things don't go well. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge that the way you're thinking isn't helping your performance. That's where it starts. Like you have to go, hey, you know what? I'm negative a lot. I tend to be a hothead. You know what? Boy, I get it. I'm not helping myself by thinking in this way. You know, because some people, they choose to believe that they're shooting themselves in the foot, right? If you don't acknowledge that what you're doing isn't working, then there's no way you're going to, you're going to change, right? So you have to acknowledge that the way that you're thinking isn't helping you. And then beyond that, you have to start creating an awareness of when your thoughts are getting in your way, you know, because throughout the day, life moves at a fast pace. And sometimes we're not aware of our thoughts and we're not aware of our behaviors because the pace of life creates a lot of a lot of static if you will it just becomes hard to honestly evaluate ourselves you know so one of the things that we we do a little exercise in our mental toughness toolbox in the art of awareness is and we do this with junior golfers you know i run these golf camps down in pebble beach sponsored by nike and we do a big mental toughness talk on wednesday during camp and on thursday we play spyglass down in pebble beach and we, we challenge the kids to create a higher level of, of awareness for how they're thinking. And then when they have moments where they notice a negative thought or reaction to not just the golf shop, but anything, right? Then we have them try and occupy a moment of ownership where they go, oh, there it was. You're right. I am highly negative. Got it. That's not helping me. And then they go ahead and they replace that negative thought with a thought based on positivity or gratitude. So the exercise is called COR catch, own, and then replace. Catch yourself being negative. Own that moment going, hey, I get it. It ain't helping. And then, you know, what would be a, a better thought to get me back on track? And, and what we do on the first tee, Dean, is we give these kids, and this is something that, you know, the listeners of your program can engage in. And, you know, this is a, a, an exercise we give the kids, but I say, hey, do it with your whole family. And it doesn't even have to be based around golf. You know, you think your mom or dad are negative, Say, hey, I learned this thing at golf camp. It's an exercise for the whole family. What's the exercise? Well, you start your round or you start your day with a whole pocket full of paper clips, right? So you, we hand these kids, I don't know, 30 paper clips in the first team. They jam them in their front pocket. And as they go throughout their round, they're um, asked to you know, create these moments of awareness. And the moment they find themselves being negative, they have to reach in their pocket, pull out a paper clip, own that moment replace that negative thought with a positive one, and then they transfer that paper clip from their front pocket into their back pocket. And at the end of the round, they reach in their back pocket, they pull off the paper clips, and they can physically count or see how many times their own round, or in the case of a, of a family exercise, their own day fell victim to their own personal sabotage, right? So I then ask these kids, I go, okay, well, do you think it's possible to never have a negative thought again for the rest of your lives? And the kids all go, well, no. And I go, well, I agree with you. I'm not going to be some guy that says, you know, you got to be positive all the time. But then I go, well, do you think it's possible to over time take this potential mountain of negativity and just make it a little bit smaller each day so you're not constantly getting in your own darn way? And all the kids go, 
oh yeah, I, I think that's possible. And that's what we're we're talking about. We're talking about an ongoing process of of awareness, ownership, and and correction that allows us to more times than not put our best foot forward. Golf is meant to be fun. And then to learn that you can't be beating yourself all day long and you can't just be getting upset just because you don't get what you want. Because guess what? In life, you don't get what you want a lot. And if you're always going up and down, up and down, up and down based on the result, then you're not going to be a very happy golfer and you're probably not going to be a very happy person either. Well, what I see with senior golfers all the time is the conversation that they have with themselves. And a lot of it's spoken out loud. And you'll hear it in things like, oh, geez, I really hate this hole. I never, never can get par on it. I'm always hitting it into the water. Oh, gosh, it's windy. I cannot play in the wind. This this is going to be a tough day. And so they literally are starting to set themselves up with an expectation that's not what they want, but they have to express it. And more often than not, they actually create what they're saying that they hate. What's going on there and how, how can we stop it as senior golfers? Well, we have to stop expecting things to be a certain way. You know, we also have to embrace the conditions and we have to see the fun in playing golf in any condition, whether it's really hot or really cold or really rainy or windy. And, you know, one of the things that most people probably don't realize, and, you know, some of the senior golfers here, obviously, if you play golf for a long time, they, they know how great of a player Tom Watson is. And one of the things that most people know about Tom Watson is that, you know, he's a five-time British Open champion and that he's universally admired and respected you know, across the pond. But early in his career, Tom Watson hated playing Lynx golf. He hated going over there and playing those courses because the conditions and the makeup of the courses and hitting little chippy shots around the course and landing the ball 50 yards short. I mean, he just thought it was ludicrous. You know, he's like, this is my kind of golf. And it wasn't until he got it, if you will, and saw the creativity and the beauty of playing golf, I guess, underneath its original design and format, that he started changing his attitude towards what it was like to play those courses. So he really shifted his mindset from, I really don't like this, to, oh my gosh, I love this. And all of a sudden... He became known as one of the greatest Lynx players of all time. And now his identity is really connected to playing great golf under those conditions. So I think that's an important lesson is that, yeah, it's really easy to go, oh, I want it to be this temperature and these greens have to be perfect. And, you know, oh, my gosh, this bunker needs more sand. We should, you know, we should complain and you know, talk to our board. We need to We're like, guys, if you're having a bad day on a golf course, come on, man. You know, it's it's a field of play. Just go out there and swing and find it and swing and find it and embrace whatever you got going and have fun whacking that damn thing around. And at the end of your round, just ask yourself, okay, what was the lesson from today's round? Every round has a lesson, Dean, right? So if at the end of the round you can do two things, this is, a, you know, we hear about, you know, pre-shot routines, but there's actually, you know, post-round routines that would really be helpful. And the two things that we always try and do in a post-round routine is, number one, just take a moment to acknowledge something that was awesome. Acknowledge something that went really, really well. And it could be 
hey, you know, that up and down that I made on number two was really great. Or the drive that I hit, you know, on number 13 was just the way I wanted it. Or, God, you know, the joke that Bob told, you know, at the turn was just cracking me up. <laughs> and I'm going to remember that. Through. Like, just acknowledge something about the day that was perfect and, and joyful. And then after that, ask yourself, what was the lesson from today's round? And every round has a lesson. And sometimes the lesson is, is like, you know, I, I can't hit a fairway bunker shot to save my life. I need to figure out how to do this, right? And then that becomes, you know, what you work on during your next practice session. Or the lesson is, you know, I started uh, getting out of the present. You know, I had a really good round going and I started adding up in my head, boy, if I just par this one and if I par this one, and even if I bogey that one, like, holy cow, that would be my best round by, by two shots. You know, things like that get us off our game. So just figure out what the lesson is and then, you know, make adjusting that, what you focus on during your next outing. And then every round you play, you know, number one, you remember why the game is fun. And then number two, you actually put into play a practice that's going to help you raise the bar a little bit in an area that, that needs some adjusting. Back to the Tom Watson story. What struck me is, is, is confidence. And I'm always wondering about confidence in terms of where do we get it? I mean, do we get it through success? Or do we get confidence by picturing success? Um, or is there a difference? But a lot of people just aren't confident in certain aspects of their game. A lot of, a lot of us seniors have taken the, they're just resolved to say, you know, I can't putt or I'm a terrible chipper or whatever. And they take that to the practice tee, they take it to the round, and they literally have no confidence in that part of their game. So how can we, when we're kind of hardened in our arteries and perhaps even hardened in our attitudes, how do we get better confidence? Well, I mean, confidence is an emotional state and all emotional states can only come from one place and that is our thinking. So one of our mental toughness mantras is create the state, don't wait. Don't wait for something good to happen before you permit yourself to feel good or believe in yourself, right? Anybody, I mean, I'm talking like anybody, like your mental toughness. You know, some people are mentally tough, some people aren't. I'm telling you what, the most non-mentally tough person can feel confident or exude confidence if they're getting what they want. Anybody, Dean, can be confident if they're getting what they want over and over again, right? That's not being mentally tough. The challenge is, is when you're not getting what you want, Right? Can you think in a way that increases the likelihood of getting what you want? <laughs> right? And that's the whole genesis of this idea of confidence. Right? So if confidence comes from your thinking and you control your thoughts, then just because you haven't gotten the result that you're looking for does not in any way, shape, or form mean that you can't approach that action, in this case of hitting a golf ball, with complete and utter confidence that good things are coming and you're deserving of those good things, right? So that's a real indication of a person's mental toughness. And it's like, you know, we watch, you know, I'm a big football fan. You know, I'm watching football, and when you're dealing with mentally tough players, I mean, some of these teams, man, they are sucking it up, right? And they got the media, you know, putting them down. They got fans burning their jerseys, you know, but some of the guys in those buildings, they just keep chipping away at that wall, right? Like, hey, I don't lose confidence in my ability. I don't lose confidence in our coaches. We don't lose confidence in our team. It is coming, right? And those are the teams that when their back's against the wall, they can turn things around. 
other teams, you know, they, they fold like a house of cards. She's like, man, we're terrible. We can't do anything. We can't, we can't pass. We can't catch. We can't run the ball. We fumble it. We can't block, you know, our special teams, they blow. I and mean, it was like, and all of a sudden those teams are, you know, perpetually losing teams. You know, say, so where does confidence come from? It comes from your thinking. And if you believe that you control your thoughts, then you have an opportunity to start developing and exuding some mental toughness by simply thinking in a way that increases the likelihood of getting that result you're wanting. Well, I think the encouraging thing is, is that if thoughts are what creates our reactions and our reactions are, can be good or bad, if, let's say if they're bad and we believe and see that a bad reaction leads to bad shots and a bad round and overall not enjoying the round, that we do have some control over that. But it's not necessarily a skill that we've developed. And it sounds like there's an opportunity to practice our thinking and also practice our game. So Jeff, a buddy of mine who's also a listener to the podcast, and I was asking him about some questions for you on this particular recording. He said, boy, the area that I could really get better is game strategy. So he was talking specifically about looking at a particular hole and making good decisions on playing that hole to his strengths and playing that hole so that he can have the best possible chance of scoring par, or if it's a really tough hole, you know, how he can miss in the right area if he has to, so he doesn't walk away with anything worse than a, than a bogey. Any thoughts on helping my buddy Jim on that particular question, and many others out there that have the same question? Absolutely. Well, the thing that you got to realize is that the golf course architect and the superintendent, they are not your friends. They are basically designing and setting up golf courses in an attempt to fool you, right? To make the hole seem more difficult than it actually is. But a golf course can't be viable and playable unless every hole has a, a fairway. And I'm not saying a fairway. I'm saying a fair way to play it from tee to green. So one of our courses here at Pronghorn Resort is the, the Fazio course. And when you stand on the tee box, the way that the course is designed, it makes so many tee shots look extremely narrow. It makes the landing areas look really, really small. But it's really an illusion because when you drive down the, the hole, you go, wow, this area here that is camouflaging the landing area, it's not even in range relative to how far I hit the ball. I mean, it's only 125 yards off the tee box and I'm going to carry my driveway past that. So when you get past the illusion, all of a sudden you got this wide open landing area, right? And then when you go look at your shot into the green and the way the bunkering is set up, it just makes the landing areas look so, so small. And then the superintendent will take the flag and he'll tuck it behind one of these bunkers to make your line to the hole maybe a little bit more enticing, which leads you more into the trouble that this course architect is designed to begin with. So it's really easy to get fooled by the design of the course and how the course is set up in a way where all of these shots you're hitting, they look scary. They look daunting. And if you're playing in fear, you're going to play tight. And if you're playing tight, you know, then chances are you're not going to be expressing your skill to the greatest degree. So if just knowing truly what is out there from tee to green, understanding the design of the course, and also understanding that golf course architects have to design the course to create a fair way to play it for golfers of all levels, will help you see some of these areas that you should be playing to based on your skill. But no one's designing a golf course that's unplayable because 
if it's unplayable, then who wants to be a member there, right? Who wants to pay, you know, ninety dollars for a green fee? We're just going to get their their brains caved in all day long, right? So a lot of the shots that we hit are shots that we're being baited into hitting, and the emotion that surrounds these shots is sometimes an emotion that's rooted in in an illusion, not not reality. And the fear of doing something wrong, it sounds like. Or, exactly. Or, yeah. So the next thing that I would say is that if you have the time, especially if it's a course that you play day in and day out, if you remember the course, go ahead and try walking the golf course backwards. Walk from the green back to the tee. And if you're standing in the middle of the green, say to yourself, well, where would the best place be to have a ball that would make an approach to this area seem really, really easy? <laughs> right. So most golf courses don't have bunkers surrounding all areas of the green. There's usually an opening, right, that allows the ball to be played along the ground to some degree. And there might be, you know, listeners out there that go, oh, not my golf course and not this hole. And I'm not saying, you know, you can't use always and never when you're talking about anything. But more times than not, golfers are positioning their ball where they've got to hit over stuff. They got to hit over mounds. They got to hit over ravines. They got to hit over the big gnarly bunkers where if the ball were placed in a different area of the fairway or even in the rough, they wouldn't be faced with these obstacles, right? So that's, that's another thing. And then of course, if you start from the green and you work your way out, you go, okay, well, where would, you know, if we're dealing with the par five, you know, you got your, your green, which represents your third shot. And then from there, you see the angle that would be best for coming in from there. And then you go back to, okay, well, where would you know my layup have to come from? And then based on where the layup would have to come from, you can see where your tee ball would have to come from, right? So you can create a very fair, simple path or track to the hole without having to deal with some of the hazards that might present themselves. And also by understanding more about what's an illusion and what's reality, then you can play with more with more freedom. Anytime you're playing tight, like I said, you're not going to you know, create the best expression of your talent. One of the things that is a really good mantra associated with really playing with freedom and confidence and without fear is to try and make confident swings at conservative targets. I had a, a client of mine who was going through PGA Tour qualifying school, and that was his, that was his motto, confident swings, conservative targets. And there's going to be so many flags during a round which are really designed due to the course setup for that day to be flags that are green light flags, flags that are meant to be attacked, right? Because there's enough of an open area where you can play aggressively and a slight miss hit's not going to land you in the water or in the lip of a bunker or wherever, right? And those are the holes, which are your potential birdie holes if you're a decent player. Then you're going to have these yellow light flags. These are flags which are flags that can still be reached, but there's a little bit of air of caution. You just have to be aware of you know, making sure your yardage is possibly just a little bit more accurate, or you have to be more mindful of you know, what kind of curves your golf ball normally travels on and whether or not where that flag is is going to be suitable for your natural ball flight, where it might be more suitable for someone else's ball flight. And then you have the red light flags. Under no circumstance whatsoever, do not get suckered in to aiming at that flag. And that's where the term sucker pin comes from, right? You know, you see this flag off in the distance and it's flapping, right? And all of a sudden your gaze is, is pulled into this flag and you try and hit at this thing. And of course, because you don't hit the greatest shot of your life, you find yourself in a place of challenge. And, and that's the superintendent going, look at that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you can create confident free swings 
to wider open landing areas that are that are more difficult to miss, you know, then you're going to eliminate unforced errors, right? And as it relates to to strategy, you gotta understand that you're going to hit all sideways. It's a challenging game, like we talked about before. It's a, it's a game that's built in unpredictability or inconsistency, because every shot's not going to be you know right up the middle and right on target. But the idea here is is that during a round, that if I'm going through a plane lesson, I say, well, what are the unforced errors? Well, why did I make double bogey here? Well, you played too aggressive of a line, or you selected a club based on a distance that you really don't have the skill to hit that club over and over and over again. Most golfers are saying, what's, what's the yardage? Oh, it's 165. Well, that's my, that's my seven iron. Might not be. It might be one seven iron that you've hit before under certain conditions and a certain altitude. But if we were to put you on TrackMan or FlightScope and we hit 100 golf balls, your 165 shot might show up 2% of the time, you know, so, you know, it's no wonder why when you didn't catch this ball completely clean, that it, that it landed in the lip of the bunker and then it got plugged and then it took you two to get out of the bunker and then you gouged it out and then you free play. Like, you know, these high, these high scores, a lot of times are coming from just putting your golf ball in places that are hard to score from. And club selection is an unforced error. Selecting too aggressive of a line is an unforced error. Standing over the golf ball with some degree of doubt is an unforced, unforced error. Like in football, you have timeouts so that when things look like they're not going to work, you can go, hang on a second, timeout. Let's talk about this and regroup. And the thing is with golf, you don't have only three timeouts in your bag. You can take timeouts whenever you want, right? So if you're ever over a shot and you're iffy about the club or you're iffy about the line or you're just not feeling comfortable, call a timeout. Right. So those are things that you can do from a strategic perspective to um, just help increase the likelihood that when things aren't going perfectly, that you still put a reasonable number on the scorecard. How many great rounds for a player have been totally derailed just by one or two holes, one or two bad decisions that really aren't related to the quality of your ball striking, but more related to the strategy behind what you're trying to do? or the emotional state that you're, that you're playing under. Absolutely. Boy, that was uh, perfectly well said. Very, very helpful. And I like the fact that you gave some examples there that could, could help a player who had never played that course before. This is the first time and how they might think about that as well as the player who's a member of a club and plays the same course over and over again, that idea of walking it from the green backwards, terrific advice and a chance to see it from a whole different perspective, which can Increase confidence and increase taking confidence swings with conservative targets. One final question for you. If there was one thing you would tell our senior golfer listener that would inspire them and motivate them to continue to improve, what would that be? Well, what I would say is that the whole secret to development is just, you know, daring to be different. You know, if you want a different result, then you've got to do something different. And those differences can come in, in how we think. They can come relative to our diets and how we eat. They can come relative to how we take care of our bodies and try and feel better and more light and free and explosive. And those differences occur also with how we move and connect our club to the golf ball. So I would say that at any age, as long as we're willing to stretch our imaginations and be willing to assess where we are now, and consider how we might like our game and our life to be different, 
and then be willing to simply demonstrate the courage to act in each one of those areas or categories. You know, you've got a lot of excitement and possibility in your future. And, you know, with make the turn, one of these terms that we hear, and we know that it's the transition from the front nine to the back nine, but, you know, the program that we have is really rooted in these four basic pillars. There's skill building, there's mindset, there's fitness, and there's nutrition, right? And the way we go about sharing our program with people is we start off with awareness. In order to become different from what you are, you have to have an awareness of what you are, right? And then from there, we need a little bit of education. What alternatives are there for us to be different in these areas? And then we have the act of adjustment, which is just demonstrating the courage to start shifting those behaviors. And then the final component of our program is all about, you know, the perseverance, finding joy within the struggle, not getting so tied down to having things be exactly the way we would like them to be and result immediately, but enjoy the process, enjoy the journey. You know, so I think that if you can see the possibility, if you can embrace the fun in, in personal development, then you can really use the game of golf to help you have life be the way you want it to be on or off the golf course in all of these lessons and all of these journeys and all these moments of excitement and possibility of discovery are really coming from this game that it, that connects us all and that has brought us here today. Well, Jeff, that's where you and I share another perspective, and that is that golf really is a metaphor for life. And as we choose to make our lives better, we can make our golf game better. As we choose to make our golf game more mindful, more purposeful, we can add value and, and change in our lives as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom and all of that experience today. Boy, we could definitely do a number of other podcasts just on nutrition and fitness as well, but we'll save that for another day. Anytime you want. So for those of you listening to the podcast, we have a special offer from Jeff Ritter that I think you'll really, really benefit from. It's going to be access to 22 short audio vignettes on mental, the mental game, the mental fitness, some of the concepts that we've talked today on the podcast. So to get access to that, what you'll need to do is go to the SeniorGolferAdvisor.com website, click on the tab that says Podcast Episodes. There you'll see the episode for Jeff Ritter. We'll actually have two episodes for Jeff Ritter in the future, and each one of these will offer the special offer. So click on the Read More section, and that'll take you to the page with the Special Offer button. Just click on that. You'll give your contact information, and I will send you the link to those 22 audio vignettes. They run from typically about two to four minutes each, covering a variety of different topics on mental toughness and mental fitness to help your strategy and mental side of your game. Enjoy that. And thanks again to Jeff for that special offer. You're welcome. I love putting it together. There's probably a, an hour or more of you know moments of dialogue that really talk about you know some of the key elements of, of mental toughness that I think are relevant to not only playing a better game, but 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 living a better life you know, through the game. So proud and, and honored to, to share that with your listeners. So if people want to learn more and, and work with you, you mentioned the website, and I'll repeat it again, MTT, make the turn, performance.com. That's, that's the website. We're at MTT Golf on Instagram, at make the turn on both Facebook and also on YouTube. One of the things related to our, our coaching is that you know if you go to our website and you get on our, our email list, you know we are going to be running some golf schools in Arizona during the winter. 
available throughout the year at Pronghorn Resort in Bend, Oregon. Pronghorn Golf Academy is fantastic. In fact, it's one of the few golf academy programs around the country, and they go through a rigorous process of selection. We're a golf channel supported academy. We're the only golf channel supported academy in, in central Oregon. And Golf Digest also just named us Editor's Choice for Best Academies in the West. So we're proud of what we do. we got a great staff. Well, you have a lot, of, a lot of ways to help the senior golfer and a lot of ways to get involved. Yeah, at the end of the day, sometimes people, they say, what do you do for a living? I said, you know what? I got the greatest job in the world. They said, what's your job? I said, I help people have more fun playing a game. That's awesome. So that's what we do. We have a great time with our clients. We help them have more fun, infuse a little bit more joy and excitement into their lives through through game of golf. Jeff, thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. So today we're going to initiate a new feature on the Senior Golfer Advisor podcast. I'm calling it the Listener Spotlight, where each week we'll spotlight a particular listener, what they're working on in their game, and how that might benefit all of us. So the first one that we're going to profile is Bill. Bill plays out of San Diego, California. He's an 8.1 USGA index handicap, which he's a very good golfer. He's a competitive golfer, loves to play in tournaments. He's had some good success winning some local tournaments down there, local amateur tournaments, and also has placed quite well over the years. But what he's seen as he's aged and gotten into his 60s, he's 62 today, is that his distance was going down rapidly. And his ability to make a, a full and complete backswing was getting shorter and shorter, which was affecting his game. In addition to that, he had an injury to his knee, a slight tear in his uh, meniscus of his left knee, which is his lead knee in the golf swing. And so he decided that yoga was going to be the best way for him to improve. And so he's been on a yoga path for about a year, and he's had some really, really good results. What he's been doing in, in yoga is he's been working on you know all parts of the body, and it's helped his swing by creating a stronger and more flexible back. He has more flexibility in his shoulders and hips, which aids in making a bigger turn. And he's also been able to strengthen some things around his knee, which has prevented some of the pain he was experiencing there. And uh, what he's found in terms of results, very, very impressive. His driving yardage, he's gone from being about a 200-yard driver to consistently now hitting a 220. And occasionally when he really steps on one, he hits at about 230. So he's increased his driver by 20 yards. He's also seen an increase in, in strength, balance, and focus. He would highly recommend yoga for all of the senior golfer listeners out there. He also has the objective of completely getting off of Motrin or any sort of 15th club drug that he might use to help him get through the pain, which I think is a good goal for, for all of us senior golfers. Bill is also, as a competitor, he prides himself on being one of those that he's never seen a player play better than him that hits it as short as he does. So he oftentimes in match play gets into the head of uh, these big hitters that can't believe he's scoring as well as he does with that short game. But it's no longer such a short game. He's pretty respectable. So if you want to try out yoga or learn more about it, check out episode 009 with Catherine Roberts. She's one of the experts around the PGA in terms of yoga and yoga for golf. So uh, you'll get some good information from that if you're interested in learning more about it. Bill would recommend it for, for any of our senior golfer listeners out there. 
So, Bill, good luck to you and uh, senior golfers. If you'd like to be profiled in a future episode, just uh, go to my contact Dean page. There's an opportunity for you to give me some details about your game, who you are, what you're working on, and what potential challenges you're facing. Just put that in the tell your story section of the contact Dean page. Really appreciate it. And uh, we can profile you in a future episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>